Do you like movies, television about comic books, and comic books themselves? Then you definitely need to listen to Thinking Outside the Long Box with Juan, John, and Gabe. Available now on iTunes, Stitcher, and your local computer monitor. Hey guys, this is Enrica Jang with Red Stylo Media, and you are listening to Adrian King and Adrian Has Issues. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and I was almost tempted to just leave that first part in because I was going to try to do something cool, but then I realized I wasn't fully committed to it, and it just sounded really bad. Oh, <laughs> um, no, because I was going to do something like, oh, this is King, Adrian King, and it was like the music was going to kick in, and... That shit would have been cool. <laughs> well, should I just do it now and then do it after the fact? Yeah. All right, fine. See, now I can't do it because now I'm thinking about it. Because, like, should I just say that or should I try to do the British accent? Like, because my British accents are terrible. Yeah, well, if there is any as bad as your Canadian accents. Look, I like my bad Canadian accent, all right? Because, well, it's intentionally bad. But, no, I don't think I could do the king. Adrian King. How was that? Well, you did it with a little, little sass to it. I don't know. I mean, a lot of my family does come from the South. But it, you know, it's got to be the blood somewhere. Maybe. Pretend you have a tux on and you're just coming in with the swagger. Yeah, but I don't... Uh, like, I, I just woke up, like, what, an hour ago, two hours ago? <laughs> like, I have far from swagger. <laughs> and yet, you're still doing better than I am. <laughs> that's only because I'm used to not sleeping as much. Yeah, well, that's true. And also, the caffeine addiction kind of overcompensates. Uh, my caffeine's not working. I get used to it anymore. Well, you want some of this? Uh, you don't know. Oh, come on. Peer pressure on the podcast. <laughs> Here you go. Pour it up. What do you taste like, like? If you do not drink this, then we have a problem. Like, this is not an option. Blue, anything blue, I don't trust. It's just, that's like Windex. Oh, well, here, drink. There you go. Get it, get it, get in there. All right. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. Oh, see, that's why I drink it. No, I don't like the energy drinks taste like battery acid. No, those are disgusting. But no, I really like do. liquid vitamins? Oh, yeah. Like, for instance, Monster. Like, remember that red one that we had? That one was cool, but the problem is it doesn't taste like an energy drink at all. Like, it just tastes like a flat-out soda. But the problem is it has that Monster vibe mm. where it's like, it's just, you're you're coming in and you're just screaming at the sky. Like, <laughs> ah! 
Oh, I'm sorry. We were supposed to be doing something else, weren't we? Yeah. Oh, hey guys. Um, <laughs> welcome to Adrian has issues. I'm Adrian. Um, and well, we were supposed to be doing a legit introduction, but then we got into a serious thing about energy drinks and bad accents. But uh, today I am joined once again by my darling girlfriend, the show's creative director. You heard her on episode 16, I believe, The Adventures of Idea Man, Logistic Girl. And you're also on Marjorie the Monstrous, which was our interview with Marjorie Lou. Once again, welcome back to the show. Eileen, Eileen, how you doing, babe? Hey, honey, how are you? All right. So we were going to use the space as, I don't know if I wanted to make this just a regular episode, because we were originally pitching the idea of doing movie reviews. So we would just mm-hmm. go see movies and review them, which we did that kind of... After, because what did we first see that we... We saw Jurassic Park. Oh, that's right. And I don't know if the episode's ever going to be able to get aired. Yeah, we never did. We never put it up. We had started and stopped that one. I know that the audio was weird because, you know, the kids were sleeping. We were trying not to wake them up. Mm. But then every time we get started, like, you know, your daughter woke up and... I don't know. Then we were recording the day and then there was, like, birds and horns. Oh, no, it was like the... (laughs) Yeah, it was like your neighbor, like, the leaf blower and the... Oh, yeah, the 747 leaf blowers. (laughs) and i just i i don't know so hopefully maybe if there's anything salvageable i can cobble together that episode because it was a really great discussion Mm -hmm. and i know by now no one's really talking jurassic world so maybe i won't feel as bad (laughs) compared to some of the others i'm like no it's all right (laughs) and what we did see what did we see recently was the last witch hunter yes we did we never did a review on that yet though which we didn't and the thing is though like it was a fun movie but there was wasn't a whole lot to really review though like it just kind of like that was a movie that we would kind of watch like it was on netflix i mean there was definitely more to it than say the hansel and gretel movie and it leaves itself open for it to kind of continue i mean I, it was almost kind of like it had that feel of uh if batman was dracula <laughs> yes it had that kind of vibe to it it really did, and it was fun. Other than hanging out with you, had I just saw it by myself, I probably wouldn't have gone to theaters to see it. But it was entertaining. Like, it held my attention, but I was hoping for more. Like, I liked the world that they had built, being sort of like your Halloween-time action movie that, you know, it was going to be kind of hitting bullet points. I know we're, like, reviewing one movie while we talk about another, but... I like a lot of the elements of it, but after I saw it, I'm like, I don't know if this is really worth it. It would have been like a half hour episode of that. Yeah, maybe. It wouldn't I mean, have been a very long one. I mean, but, you know, Vin Diesel. <laughs> well, I know you love Vin Diesel. and It was a fun flick. Isn't it like an award winning, big, deep story? No. Well, it, no, it doesn't because it has Elijah Wood in it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, then, yeah. But, I mean, it was a fun, creepy movie. <laughs> yeah. But you it know? was definitely nothing compared to seeing Spectre. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's apples and watermelons. I mean, that's just kind of... Wow, like, <laughs> fuck the oranges. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's just... No, uh, oranges the, ain't shit. Yeah, no, that's like comparing, like, a really bad Geico commercial to Shakespeare. Oh, I thought you were going to say Geico commercials to that nationwide commercial to Dead Kid. <laughs> Oh, I would have went to go see James Bond, but I'm dead. Because you didn't get good insurance. <laughs> now you have no child and your deductible skyrocket. <laughs> like, wow. And they kicked you out of my 6 But as much as this year has been all about Star Wars with Episode 7, with the exception of Star Wars, we really did bond. Mm. <sighs> 
and over a pond. <laughs> it really did, though. It did. So, I mean, we really didn't go through a lot of the movies, but granted, most of our conversations are laid out of us at like 3 in the morning, talking about all the Bond movies. So, it's a pretty big deal for us. Absolutely. I was apprehensive, though, because I'm now at the point where, as far as if I had to rank the Bonds, Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig has officially pushed Sean Connery out of the lead for me. I mean, he did that back during Skyfall, but I think after this one. This film, I think, probably pushed most of the films out of the water, even. Sean Connery has always been my favorite. He's He is what he is. But I compare the Daniel Craig Bond movies to say the difference between like the Michael Keaton Batman movies and, say, the the new like Batman Rises kind of, you oh, so know. Not like, okay. So you have like your more, you know, fun, campy Batman, and then you have your more realistic Batman. So same thing with the with the Bond movies. You know, you had your original kind of swaggering, you know, super spy with the camp and, and the humor and, and the one-liners. And then you have Daniel Craig, who's just kind of like how Bond would be in the real world for the most part. I mean, right. obviously there's still some level of fantasy and whatnot to it, but it's definitely more real and gritty and and this latest movie is just oh it's just sexy as hell it really was it's just i mean that movie specter is sex and (laughs) i know like for a lot of reviews like when they do pull quotes like on tv spots and it's like oh this smart sexy thriller and i'm watching i'm like but wait that was smoking the bandit (laughs) (laughs) like i mean don't get me wrong like sally field's cute and the the car is awesome but you know well granted no that's not a good experience because burt reynolds was kind of a sex symbol at the time <laughs> yeah, but-, but at the same time the movie itself maybe not necessarily sexy in a way as this one like yeah this almost like i feel like this is one of those things like i remember years ago when the world's not enough came out i went to go see it a second time i saw the movie like four times in theaters but my mom i think my mom my sister and some friends of hers from school they all want to go see sleepy hollow and i'm like i don't want to see sleepy hollow that looks lame and of course the new bond movie's out and my mom's like, well, you know, you can go, but it's like, well, I'm seeing it's a Fallon. So I was like, why don't you take your grandmother with you? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I've never seen a movie with my grandmother before. <laughs> like, we watch movies on TV and, you know, in between eating and what's like, you know, passing out and whatnot. But I've never <laughs> went to the movies with my grandmother. So we went to see The World's Not Enough. And obviously there's the two of us. And there of course, these three older ladies roughly around the same age behind us. So by the end of that movie, my grandmother's yelling at the TV. She's cheering. She's <laughs> practically high-fiving the ladies behind us. And she's cursing out Pierce Brosnan because at the end, he keeps getting kicked as the guy's putting the, the torpedo thing in the reactor. <laughs> and I was like, this is a lot of fun. I couldn't see Spectre on my grandmother. I'd feel awkward. <laughs> yeah. That's like watching, like, you know, something on TV and all of a sudden it just gets into, like, this really heated sex scene. And, like, do I turn? Do I react? Do I look away? Yeah. You know, or getting caught by grandma watching the squiggly porn. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a really just sexy movie. You got to understand, it wasn't sexy in an explicit way. It was just the, I don't know, the emotions, just the classiness or whatever it was, the ambiance. I don't know how to explain it, but it wasn't explicit. It wasn't pornographic in any way. The kids aren't going to see anything that they shouldn't. But it was just sexy as hell. Like, I came out of there, and I swear to God, I needed to smoke a cigarette, and I don't even smoke. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... Sam Mendes, or Sam Mendes, I think they call him, which I'm sorry. I, I still call him Sam Mendes, but he had directed Skyfall, which 
up until that point, no Bond movie looked like that. And that was a gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you could watch that on mute, and it's still one of, like, the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. While the cinematography wasn't as striking as it was in Skyfall, but just from the opening shot, which, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, before we get into this, we're going to be talking Spectre. There's going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it by the time this episode gets posted, you might want to wait till after you see it. <laughs> anyway, just the attention to detail and how... They weren't really in a rush to just get to the action set pieces like a lot of old Bonds used to right. do. Because the movie starts, it's, it was in Mexico City during mm-hmm. um, the Day of the Dead festival. Right. And there's this, just this long establishing shot, like this tracking shot of Bond and this no-name woman. Like, well, he's granted in disguise and so is she. As they're walking through a crowd into this party, like heading towards the hotel room. And... There was a part of me where it's like, okay, what's going to happen? You're expecting at any moment someone's going to get shot, someone's going to jump out at them, or someone's going to say something, but no. It's literally about a, a damn near like three-minute shot of him just walking through this crowd, and you're just hearing the sights, the, the party, mm-hmm. the music, and it's just it's just them walking into the elevator, walking into the room. And there's just something just beautiful about that, because in a movie where you're used to seeing explosions and gunfights, it's just this very just long, calculated, just shot. And, and the thing is that this this shot wasn't just a street party. Like, this thing was massive. This was like looking at a crowd gathered at the Vatican, big. Right. And it's this whole Dia de los Muertos celebration, and everybody's in full costume. You got the, the, you know, the sexy Spanish music playing with the bongos and the guitars and everything. And it's just that whole party vibe, but it does has this this creepy overtone, you know, a little bit of a Halloween overtone to it. But it was it was dark, but it was beautiful. Right, exactly. You know, and it was just very expansive. And they're just kind of working their way through and you never really lose sight of them, which which is amazing the way they filmed that, that they still somehow stood out, even though there wasn't anything exceptional about the way they looked in comparison to everybody else, but they still stood out, you know, and he's tracking and, and it was just a, uh, an amazing setup shot and you didn't, it didn't feel like filler. It didn't feel like it wasn't telling the story. It definitely was... Right, and it's kind of a nice far cry from, like, let's say, in Quantum of Solace, where after the opening scene, there, what were they, in Spain? Was it Italy? Like, there was that whole, um, there was, like, either a bullfight, or there were horse races going on Mm -hmm. during that interrogation scene. It was that fight when Daniel Craig's going on a foot chase on the rooftops, and, Mm -hmm. like, they're all fighting in that construction site, or they're all, like, caught up in a rope and whatnot. Right. But there's this whole, it was, like, a horse race, I think, or something like that that was going on, which was cool, but it kind of was like, okay, what is the purpose of this in relation to the rest of this movie? Right. It's very art house, but here, you're right, everything just served this really just great purpose. You know, and and it was cool because as soon as I saw that celebration kind of start, I definitely got flashbacks to past Bond movies, definitely to that Roger Moore one with the with the voodoo. Oh, what was that? Um, um Living the Die. Yeah, and it, it definitely kind of was reminiscent of that and that kind of festival they had at that right. time. And, and um, even on Moonraker, um, when they had when there was that during Mardi Gras, the one scene where. Yeah, I think was so. that Mardi Gras or was that also a Day of the Dead festival? I think it might have been Mardi Gras. It might have been Mardi Gras. It was is usually something like Mardi Gras or, or Carnival or or the Voodoo. Right, because um, they haven't done a Dia de los Muertos thing in a Bond movie, but um, yeah, it was very reminiscent, and and that's what's cool about this movie is that it makes so many 
kind of passing references there was and nods a lot of them. to like all the past Bond movies. And that was beautiful. Like, and it did it in a way that it was just—it was very respectful, and it was just—it was just a beautiful movie. The last Bond movie, I think, was the fiftieth anniversary of the series. I think Skyfall. I think that's why it took them longer to make Skyfall because I think they wanted to release it the same year as I think one of the anniversaries. I'm not sure if it was the anniversaries of the first movie, but yeah, this movie I thought was even bigger. It was like this entire love letter to the entire franchise. Because like you said, there's so many references to other movies. Mm-hmm. Some of them are kind of obvious. You know, obviously the Aston Martin that you saw in Skyfall. There were some really subtle ones, like, okay, the train fight. Mm-hmm. Which to me was very much almost like that train fight from, was that from Rush of Love? Right. With Connery. Mm-hmm. Even down to the white tux. Yep. And um, even that one scene where they're in Tangier, which is where Timothy Dalton spent a good chunk of time in the Living Daylights, and Daniel Craig's wearing that almost exact same outfit with, like, the black polo, the khakis with, like, the brown jacket. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that is... And there were some other references that were literary, which I'm not too familiar with, but... There were so many awesome nods. Oh, the the Hildebrand thing? Yes, the Hildebrand, which I think is actually a nod to one of the novels. Okay. There were so many little nods to it, you know, and even the the little, the ugly little British dog (laughs) (laughs) that belonged to M that he was always trying to break and somehow survived the explosion. You're so right. And I love that. Like, once they make that shot of the dog, and of course they they leaned on that shot, the two of us are laughing hysterically, and everybody's just kind of like, did, and I almost wanted to stand up and turn around. I was like, did no one else see Skyfall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how could you miss the dog? That was like a whole big point. <laughs> uh, that movie was just so fun. There were just so many cool little little Easter eggs like that kind of scattered around. It's funny you should say fun, though, because I was worried because I remember reading one of the articles saying that they when they were doing rewrites of the movie, they had brought in... Um, I guess another team to write, I guess, inject more humor into the movies mm-hmm. because there was already that rumor of having using Spectre that they were going to use, of course, the, the organization and characters from that. Mm. And of course, when I talked about humor and I thought in a way they were going to do what Die Another Day did where in paying homage to the movies, they would almost make it too comical. Right. And it's like Daniel Craig's not that guy. Like, I mean, he's British. Like, like getting all punny. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there were a few puns, but again, thankfully, it's great to actually have a British actor who plays a British agent because mm-hmm. now the humor is dry. Right. Like, it's not that, you know, Roger Moore, witty Englishman. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I know I'm crapping on Roger Moore a lot, but there were so many times in those movies where he would wink so many times into the camera. It's like, all right, yeah. can, we, can we cut? <laughs> Yeah, he, he Roger Moore. I mean, he used to be. I mean, he's the one that I started off with growing up, and I used to think he was my favorite. But he really was kind of sleazy. <laughs> he was. He was definitely not um, cool, sexy. He was. He was skeevy, sexy, <laughs> <laughs> and he was definitely the cornball. You know, he he would just come out with stuff, and it was just like he never missed an opportunity to drop a one liner, even if it was just. Okay, dude, let it go. Like, this, yeah. this is not the time or the place, but he, he had to do it. But Daniel Craig, you know, he's sparing in his, even in his speech, much less his jokes. But he does it with such, you know, that, that dry wit and that straight man delivery that just makes it 
that much more funny. Definitely. So I figured the easiest way to do this, as opposed to trying to retell the entire story, I figured we'll kind of break it down through characters. Okay. So we'll start with the obvious first. We'll go Bond, because we've been talking about him, naturally. Mm -hmm. This movie, for me, was interesting because... Skyfall ended on such an odd note. The underlying theme of Skyfall is, you know, you have someone like James Bond who, which is weird, by the way, because Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, or vice versa, like, well, switch the order of those, were like Bond at his beginning, like him joining the double sector. Mm -hmm. But by the time Skyfall rolls around, kind of the running theme is that not only the double sector, but James Bond himself is something of a dinosaur. You know, and they kept making these references like, oh, you know, it's a young man's game and, you know, you've been doing this so long that it's wearing on you, both physically mm -hmm. and mentally. So you never really get an idea as to how long he had really been doing it between those movies. Okay. And, of course, seeing how someone like, um, what was the character, the villain in Skyfall Silva? Javier Bardem's character, was it Silva? I, think? I don't remember. But, you know, that whole thing of... When you when you play that game as long as he had, you end up like him. Mm -hmm. And where Bond, at this point, he had an out. But yet, like we had said last night, he's pretty much like he's... This is his life. You know, he's, he's addicted to this. Mm -hmm. And even at the end of the movie, after everything that's gone on, when he's handed a file, like, oh, you're ready to get back to work? And he's like, with pleasure. And there's almost this weird, not really cold, but rather disaffected look when he says, like, with pleasure. Like, he's, like, it's almost as if he's both afraid, but almost insanely gleeful to be back at it. It was very weird, and of course the Bond theme cuts, but it's a very dark ending because there's nothing to really celebrate there. Like, this job is going to kill him. Yeah, like, it, I mean, essentially, it seems almost like he's kind of bored with it, but he's resigned to it. Like, that's, I mean, that's the kind of feeling I get from him a little you bit. You know, that, that's, wow, that's actually something, that's a, probably a really good point. And you know, like, he's, you know, like, he's bored, but this is what I do, and I'm just... But yet, it. you can't act like it at the same time. There's you these know, weird moments where he does generally enjoy, enjoy this. Yeah. And, and that's probably the thing that's. It suggests maybe there's a slight conflict within him, you know, and, and the women he gets involved with or whatever. Like, there's a part of him that still is human. Right. But being human is against everything that his job represents. Right. And I think about and that his opening. his job is, is him. <laughs> right. That, and that opening scene, which is so great because had that been either a Brosnan movie or such a Roger Moore movie, you know, going back to the whole crowd scene, mm -hmm. once it got back into that hotel room, how that would have played out originally is like, let's say like a Roger Moore or um, Brosnan the first thing he would have done was, of course, well... Done the girl. and Right. And then at <laughs> then. that point, either she, you know, traditionally, either she would have been the assassin or someone would have run in on them or something like that. Mm. But next thing you know, they're in the bedroom and we're kissing and, you know, she's on the bed and she's like, oh, where are you going? And then the camera pans. He's already out of his uniform. And he's like, oh, I won't be long. And it clearly has a weapon in his hand. He's already out the window to his next job. Mm -hmm. And that's who Daniel Craig is. Like he's not a you know he's not against you know seducing the woman, but at the end of the day, it's, it's more about efficiency. Like he's not like Roger Moore would sleep with anything that moves, whether it served. <laughs> I'm whether, trying to drink. I'm sorry, whether it served his purpose or not, whether it was appropriate or not, Roger Moore would just hit that, you know. And and, and Sean Connery. Oh, 
Donald Trump. He was kind of take him or leave him. Like he was just kind of like if if, if it worked into yeah okay all right I'll do you, you know if it worked into my schedule and and, and he feel you know he kind of felt you that way then fine Sean Connery will get with you otherwise you need to give you a slap in the ass and send you on your way. But no Connery was the dude who was definitely not above putting a woman in harm's way. Oh yeah, like, like, like what was that Goldfinger like during the beginning when he's making out the woman he sees the reflection of the guy coming up behind him. Oh the yeah, first thing he does is literally turn her to that way she gets hit in the back of the head yeah but i mean granted he knew she was trying to kill him you know so it was kind of like okay you know but yeah but like oh hey stand back or you know we'll deal with you in a second no i'm going to let you take the brunt of this lead pipe that you're about to get hit with oh my god doesn't she get stabbed or shot anyway was it lead pipe? i thought she got stabbed or shot like from across the room Oh, maybe I'm confusing movies. I know one of there was a few that that's happened to. Few, the, oh, like the okay, the one where they're in the bungalow and she's supposed to be like no, no, no. I'm confusing that one. Never mind. I was thinking the one where she was sort of supposed to be Oriental, but she was obviously white, and they just kind of made her look like she was Oriental, but she didn't die. But I think no, I think it was another girl in that same movie though. Yeah, <sighs> but no, yeah, but Connery was the one who would clearly put the woman in harm's way if it meant that he would. Yeah, live. it was like uh, okay. But that was so cool about Bond in this movie is that he just again it's it says so much about his interpretation of the character. Mm-hmm. You're right, where it is about efficiency because later on. I'm not going to be jumping from place to place, mm-hmm. but encountering Monica Bellucci's character, mm-hmm. who is the widow of the gentleman who I guess he is battling with in the film's opening. Clearly, he's seducing her for information. And being a grieving widow, even though the gentleman was far from respectable in terms of right. her and whatnot, but yeah, she's still grieving and he's clearly using that to his advantage to get information but from at her. the same time i felt like it was still an excuse the expression of pity fuck like it was kind of like she's grieving and he's yes he's getting information out of her but at the same time he's kind of giving her that moment of escape i mean she almost just died and she lost her husband and and she doesn't know when her next moment will be but you know he's still kind of yeah, but I don't know. Like, I I think it's far less of a. I mean, maybe that's a female's of- prefer. Maybe that's a female interpretation of it. But I felt like, in a way, you know, yes, he was getting what he wanted out of her, but he still kind of seduced her, and he and he he gave her, you know, at least a moment of escape or whatever, and feeling like a woman that's appreciated and alive. And well, it wasn't that appreciated. I mean, she was pretty much like that was almost her only scene in the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, he's but he sent around to us, you know contact these people get a safe house whatever you know but i mean he definitely took care of her and he didn't kind of just throw her under the bus per se i guess that's true you know i mean he i think that he's generally respectful of women well i mean to a certain and degree. to a degree like i mean at least as far as preserving life like he's just they're not throwaway but yes and no it's, it's weird because the craig movies are definitely that that push and pull because while they're definitely, I don't want to say the word progressive because I don't want people to get the wrong idea of what I mean by that, mm. but it's a little bit more forward where not every woman is as disposable as maybe they were in the past, but mm-hmm. it's not like he's, you know, he's not settling down with them by any means. Right. But like, let's say, for instance, with the woman from Quantum of Solace, uh, Camille, who really, of the, you know, one of the few Bond women in that entire series who had her own storyline. It just so happened that they had common interests because what was the guy Dominic Green? He had that deal with the general that um, 
I forgot what country they were in. Remember that general he was dealing with? Mm-hmm. And basically he was like, oh, our organization will provide you, you know, protection and an army and this and that. But basically, in exchange, we want this land. And of course, they're like, well, what do you want this land for? And that's when they find out there's an entire river underneath mm-hmm. it when this country is supposedly in the middle of a drought. Right. So now the organization, which we now know to be what it is, now they own basically the resources. Like they own the water. Right. But that general was the one, I guess, he, it was kind of a revenge plot, but they were both getting revenge because he, of course, murdered her family and, I guess, sexually assaulted her. But she was going after the general, whereas Bond's going after Green, but, of course, seeing as how the two of them were in cahoots, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we're working together, but it wasn't like she was just this woman that he felt that she had to, he had to protect. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of cool. So, I mean, there are instances where, you know, at least some of the females in these movies have their own stories that are intersecting as opposed to just being... They're not just, you know, window dressing in, in the new movies. They definitely are their own characters. I mean, even Money Penny is not just the secretary sitting at the office flirting with James. She's definitely a part of that organization. She can hold her own and, and represent. That's what's really cool is that Money Penny now kind of got her, got out from behind the desk and, yes. and she's kind of like a match for James on some definite levels. And that's definitely the one I want to talk about next because Naomi Harris, I've loved her for ages, ever since the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And of course, you don't find out until the end of Skyfall that that's Money Penny. Mm-hmm. But yet, it was so cool because... You, she's first established as a field agent in that movie. right? And yeah, they do a little bit of seduction back and forth and later on, but yeah, there's clearly, like, she's an equal, like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's great that that wasn't a passing phase because at the end of that movie, you know, you see her back at the desk because the whole thing is like, okay, maybe she's not cut out for field work. She's, of course, oh, I'm money penny. You see her at the desk, so you think, all right. And part of me was a little disappointed because... I thought that was basically where she was going to be the entire series. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be like the old days where Bond would come in, Dave flirt, and you go get his dossier, and you never hear from her again. Right. But yet, while she wasn't necessarily a field agent per se, but she was, she was very active in this movie and helping Bond get to his goal. Right, exactly. And even um, Q. Q got out from kind of behind, out of the lab too, which was cool also. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, it's great now because now being 2015... His lab is everywhere. Yeah. Because <laughs> even at Skyfall, you know, he was still, you know, in their headquarters at the computer. But here, he was in the field. And Q's done that a few times in movies where... Well, usually he just, was... you know, deliver his something and leave. You know, he right. didn't really kind of do anything. And in this one, this Q's definitely more involved. He's definitely not just the computer nerd scientist. He, You get to see a little human side to him. And it's really cool to kind of see... You get to see a little human side to everybody where they're just not just their their job or their position or their character. Yes. You know, you also get to see kind of other sides to them. You get to see the whole double organization, but then you get to kind of see how it's kind of like a business and a corporation in, in itself, too. It still has bureaucracy and politics and whatnot. And But at the end of the day, they know. kept telling that message of, yes, you can be a corporation and, yes, you can hide behind that bureaucracy. But at the end of the day, someone still needs to be, you know, on the field. And right. Q, I would say, to tell you the truth, as much as I love Bond and Money Penny's great... Q, I think, made this movie for me. 
What's his name? Ben Wishaw. Yeah, because yeah, he Money really Penny, nailed this movie. She she was in it a lot, but she wasn't so striking compared to everybody else, which is weird because she was definitely part of this movie. But yeah, I think Hugh in, in this time he kind of he kind of outshone her a little bit. A little bit, right? You know, in a way. So. But I mean, I love her that she's kind of sassy and she has kind of her own life. She kind of throws it back in Bond's face and is kind of like, yo. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, look, I'm helping you, but that's only because, you know, obviously the two are very fond of each other. Right. So I guess as being as close to friends as you can be in that business. Right. She's helping him, you know, achieve a goal. and But at the same time. With that, and there's a part of her that's still kind of a little bit the idealist. You know, she's not quite as cold-hearted as maybe Bond and maybe a lot of agents have to be, which is probably right. why she couldn't make it. She has a little bit more conscience or what have you, or more justice inclinations. And a lot of that, too, is the two of them are also kind of bound by, in a way, how they felt about M or the, um, the other M played mm-hmm. by Judy Dench, because as you find out, that's how all this sort of starts is... After her death, I guess the effects from Skyfall that um, were recovered from Bond's um, childhood estate. And, of course, that message, which, of course, they both received mm-hmm. um, the dinner she gives after uh, that video. And it's nice because it's like, yes, I'm helping you achieve this, but we're also fulfilling the wishes of someone who obviously meant a lot to both of us. Right. Well, no, I mean, and it wasn't just kind of fulfilling, a, a, you know, a dead person's wishes, but also respecting her position and knowing that if, if she's even after her death, kind of giving orders and saying this is important, then you best believe it's damn important. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's, I love that because even though she's not physically in the movies anymore, she's still kind of ruling it. Yeah, she's, she's still boss as hell and she was kind of her presence was felt in that entire movie right you know and i love that bond as much as he fought and butt heads with her left and right he did respect her immensely and he did care for her and and they had kind of like it was kind of like that mother-son relationship where your mother's kind of the drill sergeant and you're the the army brat and you kind of have to (laughs) still be you know it's like it's your dad but it's you still got to treat him like he's the general and that's kind of that position that Bond and, and M always had where there is a, a sense of respect, but at the same time, there's that level of rebellion. and Right. But she knew that, and that's the thing, because that's what I loved about Judy Dench from her very first discussion with Bond, even back in GoldenEye, where, you know, she basically is Judy Dench. She didn't take shit. Like, mm-hmm. she never has. What did she say? She was like, if you don't think I have the balls to send a man out to die, you know, you're dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? She was like, look, I've sent, she basically just told him, look, these other dudes, I've sent them out to their deaths. I don't give a shit. You know, we have a job to do. But... I also know that you're you, <laughs> and you get shit done. <laughs> so look, I need to tell you this because I'm, you know, you're not gonna try to act like you're gonna get your way because you're not. But at the same time, I respect you and what you do. So get it done, but just don't talk shit. To me <laughs> you know, and I love that scene because. And if you're gonna do something on the slide, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. I don't know nothing. <laughs> but in a way, she did, at least in the Craig movies, because I remember watching the old M. He was, you know, very much that old stodgy gentleman behind the desk. 
who basically kind of let Bond, you know, just kind of just run around willy nilly. But yet, well, that's not would, the world they live would, in anymore. He would kind of pull him on stuff, but he was very much kind of like the bureaucrat behind the desk thing. Whereas M was kind of like she was the boss, but you could tell she was an agent before that. Right. She did her time. You know what I mean? She did. She knows how it is she's not just a, pe- a paper pusher she knows kind of what the, what they're dealing with she knows she's making the hard decisions and she there was some conflict there but she she dealt in the greater good you know and big picture kind of thing and, and you know they, uh, but again that respect that they had and and that kind of back and forth between them was awesome and then now he has it kind of like with money penny Right, and I mean, he also has that with M. With the new M, right? Yeah, because the one well, thing. Well, to about- a point. I mean, the new M is a little. Well, no, because new M is he's a little more stodgy and he's more of the bureaucrat behind the desk kind of well, thing. Well, in a way, it's- much like Bond, I think had to establish that relationship with Judy Dench's M, where it's like originally she kind of like obviously she had, did believe in him in a way, but she she still had to earn her trust because after the events of Casino Royale. Right. You know, he's angry and he's bent on revenge and he's not even interrogating people anymore. He's not even asking questions. Like, you know, Bond back in the day, you know, like in that scene where he breaks into the hotel in Haiti, mm-hmm. the guy who like attacks him, you know, anybody who would probably, you know, put him down, subdue him, get the information. And at that point, if he feels like he needs to be put down, no, he fights this guy, stabs him in the neck with a glass shard, and then just collects the case or whatever he had, and then just dips. Like, he doesn't, like, look, I'll get the information after the fact. Like, I don't need to interrogate you. I'll just get whatever you get, and that's mm. fine. And to the point where, obviously, it was an issue. So, Money Penny, I mean, Money Penny, excuse me, and went to go shut him down. And then it was afterwards that she realized, wait, he, he's clearly onto something because, yes, he is a blunt instrument and kind of an indiscriminate killing machine, but he's <laughs> clearly killing people for a reason. <laughs> so it's like, I'll follow his lead and see how there's far always, it goes. There's always a justification. Like, it's James. There's always a reason. He doesn't just do stuff just for the hell of it. Yeah, he may get, he may get a little out of line, but... All in all, he comes back to the point. <laughs> right, but you're right, though. But this M is very, ha- is kind of a little bit more, I guess, I don't want to say strict, but he's definitely not as motherly as, you know, Judy Dench was. In a way, he's still more convinced of his image because by this time, he's like they kept saying, you know, they're feeling the heat because there's so many people that are telling them that what they're doing is so archaic. He probably well, yeah, would you know, on. he's the new guy in, so he has to try and establish that rapport with everybody and gain that respect right off the bat, which is hard to do. You know, you got to prove yourself, but you don't have a lot of time to prove yourself because, you know, the world's, you know, at stake and you got to get shit done. So he has to kind of be that hard ass attitude at the same time he's dealing with the kind of political issues going on behind the scenes. And... You know, he is more kind of stodgy and, and whatnot. But <laughs> what's cool, and then that's, you know, where later on you kind of find out, okay, he's human too. Right, but it's kind of ironic if you think about it because in Skyfall, here's, he's the guy who much like the dude um, whose name escaped me at the moment because um, he was the one who was telling uh, Judy Dench that, you know, what she did was outdated and that, you know, they were, they were dinosaurs at this point and that... What he was doing was, you know, they were establishing the New World Order of things. Mm. Until, of course, they realized that during the, the hearing where they were basically stripping her of her duties, Silva shows up and is shooting up the courtroom. And then, of course, at the end of the day, guess who's there but James Bond, right. you know, saving them. And, of course, Mallory realized 
like I said, someone still needs to pull the trigger. So of course he and Bond have that bonding moment. Up oh, there yeah. it is again. <laughs> like there's one scene of Skyfall which I love during that courtroom shootout. Um, Craig, you know, once um, Mallory, I think was um. Ray finds name before, of course, he's the new M. He sees Daniel Craig, and Bond has the gun pointed at him at first, and he winks. And he's like, I got this. And when he starts shooting all of the um, the fire extinguishers mm-hmm. to create the smoke screen so they can get M out. And it's like this moment where the two of them are like, all right, we got this, because that's when Bond realizes this guy is supposed to be in the man in the suit. Mm-hmm. He, too, much like Duty Dench, was in the field... You right. know, it isn't above, you know, getting dirty. Right. So there was already the, you know, it was kind of established, like, okay, now there's a level of respect that was made here. Right. So it's funny that now, like, this M is on receiving into that from someplace else. Right. So now he's having to, of course, have to prove to them that what they do is necessary. Right. Which I think they, of course, they do in spades. Right. But. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's, oh my gosh, do they ever. You know, and it's just, oh my God, this this movie was, was just, it was, I don't know, I honestly don't know how they're going to top this. It's going to be a hard follow. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm sure they can probably do it, but I think it's going to be a hard follow. There wasn't much wrong with this movie, except maybe your your main villain had needed some tweaking yeah uh, and that's actually and it's funny because it's like while this movie was near perfect like i said to you on the train last mm-hmm. night it's kind of like as if i'm you know if i poured water on the ground and it's like obviously the ground's a level and it's like it's following a drain if there's a drain anywhere it would have to be the villain um ober ober <laughs> Oh, oh, Oberhauser? Yeah, it's like Oberhauser or something like that. And it's <laughs> funny because, long story short, the co-writer, I think it's co-writer of Thunderball and Albert Broccoli, I think it's Kevin McClory was his name, and Albert Broccoli, who co-wrote Thunderball, that movie was very much like your first really big introduction to Spectre. Like, I mean, yeah, there was Spectre in, you know, um, For Your Eyes, not For Your Eyes Only, um, For Mushroom With Love. And you find out that Dr. No was an operative and so on and so forth. But Thunderball is the movie where it's like you really like see Spectre. You know, that's when you see the boardroom. And, of course, everybody's giving their like their quarterly reports. And, you know, the one guy's like, oh, your numbers are low. Button, you know, <laughs> this guy's killed. And, you know, they electrocute him in his own chair. They lower the chair kind of thing. <laughs> so and because of the constant lawsuits between, you know, the, the writers of that movie, there was like the statue for years where they weren't allowed to use Spectre. And I think that's what they were trying to do with Quantum of Solace, where that organization Quantum, mm-hmm. I think that was going to be sort of like the new version of Spectre. But then I think once they realized, hey, we now have the ability to use those characters and the name again, I think kind of dropped it a little bit. Mm. So what this movie supposes is that Every villain up to this point, like Lachie from Casino Royale, uh, Dominic Green from Quantum Solace, um, the assassin that Bond fought um, several times in Skyfall, Patrice, as well as Silva, were all Spectre operatives. And also, um, uh, late, late, the girl. Oh, wait, which one? Oh, um, Vesper? Vesper, that's it. Right, but in Vesper's case, was that the one where her boyfriend was involved with them? And she, that's basically, she was trying to get the ransom money. 
Because I was that kind of yeah, and then they, she fell for him, but she still betrayed him, and right. that's kind of where he he lost his trust in women. <laughs> and this is kind of where the movie does hit sort of a low point for me because I get what they were going for. It's not too unbelievable that all these gentlemen were involved in the organization because obviously there's that tie of Mr. White who was kind of like the sort of like he was like the middleman in a way like he was that bridge to that that organization no okay question i mean maybe this is off whatever i've been thinking about this since it wasn't there like a mr white and a mr black or something in a different movie well i know there's mr kid and mr win um the two gentlemen from uh, diamonds are forever okay those are okay but i don't know if maybe that's where i'm getting confused because like, wasn't there a mr white before <laughs> But Mr. White, and this is why I do love the Daniel Craig movies, because there is a narrative now. Right. Whereas, as opposed to they being separate adventures that may have connecting tissue, Mm -hmm. they've actually now resolved some of the storylines, because Mr. White, as you find out, was... Okay, going back a minute. Casino Royale. Greatest twist of that movie wasn't even the, oh, Vesper betrayed me issue. It was the fact that Lashif, who you're told is the main villain of the movie, is not. Right. He's, at this point, he's just as, you know, screwed over by his bosses as Bond was. Like, the whole scene where he's, you know, he's being tortured, you know, in the chair and whatnot. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Lashif, basically what Lashif is doing was betting against the market, taking other terrorist funds... And basically, like, laundering that money back into his own organization, which is why they were supposed to blow up that plane at the airport, which would have sent the, the airline stocks, like, down, and he would have made a killing off of that. Mm. And, of course, he used the terrorist money from other organizations to fund that. But, of course, when Bond, you know, thwarted that, <laughs> Lashif is panicking because he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> now they're coming after me so of course during the interrogation you know bond has no watch he has no gadgets it's all of a sudden it's the organization and of course their mouthpiece which was mr white you know he shot him like he just gunned it down like let dead and this movie still got like over 40 minutes left to go <laughs> <laughs> but even then of course at the end of that movie like you think that of course the organization got away with it bond got screwed over and my sticks looks like a damn fool mm-hmm. but bond being bond you know of course mr white's like doop 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 i did evil and i'm awesome gets a call hey what's going on who's this bullet to the leg <laughs> 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 and then it was so great so you find out during the whole car chase during uh quantum assault that mr white's in the trunk uh-huh. the whole time so as they're interrogating him about his organization he's laughing because he's like we've been doing all this shit you guys don't even know where we are we're hiding as if they think we're onto us and mm-hmm. so and it's funny that this whole time you think that you know mr white comes and goes and yet i'm like all right so what happened to him if he was such an important character which was interesting that now you find out he's even much more important in this movie mm-hmm. than he ever was before and not because of him but the fact that well you know his Who's- daughters also which that was that was a weird twist i didn't see that coming but she wait she wasn't part of the organization but no she knew but she i mean the it. fact that they resolved that storyline where it's like they actually in a way made him somewhat human right like, even after and all this time of him kind of just being a villain now you kind of got to see okay there was he he wasn't as bad as you thought he was well no he is but he still had a conscience because he did mention briefly that you know they were starting to kill you know women and children and they were like he he's ruthless but to a point right whereas his even his organization like okay they're doing things that i'm not even down for which, of course, once he said no, pretty much signed his own death warrant. Right. 
So that was cool to see that they resolved that, which introduces us to the other character, which was Madeline Swan, whom I liked her. And I've liked the, the few movies I've seen her in, which now I realize, I'm like, oh, she was in Ghost Protocol, the fourth Mission Impossible movie. Oh, okay. I didn't get to see that one. Did we not see that one? The one with Jeremy Renner? I could have, did we watch it together? No. Oh, I thought we did. All no. right. Well, we'll have to rectify that. It might actually still be on Netflix. That must be your other girlfriend, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I watch a lot of Mission Impossible with my side piece. Like, I watch Bond with you, but I, but I watch, you know. That's right. It's only, it's only, it's only Mission Impossible. <laughs> Yeah, it's only Tom Cruise. <laughs> but yeah, I mean she was a great she was a cool character too, and it was good to see that she wasn't I mean, it kind of played it halfway through. Like at times she would be the the woman you had to say, but yeah, then she could hold her own. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. She wasn't my favorite Bond girl. No, she wasn't remark she I don't think she was very remarkable. Um, I mean, she's all cute and French and whatnot. You know, and, and she had her, you know, there were some moments where she stepped up and it was like, okay, thank you for representing for not being a total, like, damsel in distress kind of right. crap. But, um, you know, she did step up, whatever. But but she's not at the in the top rung of my girls, you know? No. But, you know, looking back, though. Which is why the ending is kind of ironic to me. It's just kind of like, okay, but... Like of all she, of the ones, <laughs> of the ones that made him change his ways slightly, she was it. Yeah, it was just kind of like okay, you know. But then I guess when you share, you know, a drill to the head kind of moments, you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it changes your perspective on things. <laughs> I guess so, but at the same time, what was nice about this movie is that well, it was not- we- it's weird that you kind of got like a happy ending. In a way, it was really kind of anti-Bond at the end, in a way. It was just kind of like, wait, that didn't go down like I thought it would. <laughs> and that's something I... Well, I'll go back to the villain, because I know mm-hmm. I kind of jumped over that. But you're right, as far as the ending goes, I think they, it was deliberately done just to say, screw you, because it's like, oh, you think you know how this movie's going to end? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sorry. I feel like that's almost a little too against type. Of all the people that Bond would whose life he would have spared. yeah. He sure as hell would not have spared the gentleman who we now know is Ernst Stavro Blofeld, but we'll get to that shit in a second, because that's a whole half hour's worth of yeah. issue for me. But there's if this man was supposedly behind so many things that Bond to deal with, I'm sorry, they never would have left him to... That's like one of those weird yeah. Batman. It's like, it's, he's not Batman. He hasn't sworn his oath of non-killing. Like, that's all he does. Like, he has a license to do so. You know, unless he feels like, okay, death is too good for him and he needs to somehow suffer. But I just feel like this man just was orchestrated a world organization. was minutes away from pretty much owning the world. I don't understand how leaving him alive is not dangerous. Right. You know what I mean? Unless you're going to cut him off from all human contact where nobody even knows who he is. I, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like he's going to manipulate something. He's going to be, he's, you know, he's coming back. Which, in a way, I feel like I, I, I hope he doesn't. Only because... He wasn't a great, he wasn't the best villain. As I liked the idea of Blofeld in the past of having this, this organization who did all of these things, but... But I also the that- way he was played in the past, I think, was better. Well, it definitely played up to its time. He was very Blofeld to me. I feel like it's very much a product of the, that Connery era. 
that it just doesn't work now. And I know some people are very much different, like with their bonds. For every person who screened that, you know, it got hokey with Roger Moore. There are people who, when the Daniel Craig movies happened, they wanted all the gadgets and, like, you know, the hokey stuff again, which just proves that sometimes people don't know what the hell they want. Mm-hmm. But some things I think are just kind of better left in the past. True, but this new reimagining of Blofeld is, uh, he's kind of, it's kind of weak. It's weak, and it's also, I feel like it's part of it's lazy. Like, yeah, I love Christoph Waltz. I think he's a great villain, but I feel like he's played this character before in better in other movies. Like, I don't know, did you, you saw Glorious Bastards, right? No. Okay, well, he was the um, one Nazi soldier. I could see him playing a Nazi. But Definitely. the opening scene in Glorious Bastards is basically he comes into like the small little farmhouse and he's um he goes to this house of this um this family who's known to be harboring Jews. What's great about that scene is again, much like in this movie, he's very sinister, but just by being so just charming and Yeah, he's kind of like he just seems like this dude around the way kind of thing, and that's what makes it creepy because he is kinda like smiley and cordial and quirky and and not what you would expect of a master organization dude but at the same time i think they kind of took it too far down that route a little bit where then it was just kind of like it was hard for it to be believable that how did you somehow have this iron fist on this organization when you don't even wear socks damn it with your shoes i mean i'm You're sorry still again with the socks i'm sorry again but i just socks. have this thing about you wearing dress shoes with no socks and high water pants like you got all this money you could fire somebody to make you you know look the part i mean come on now it's a dressing thing i'm not worried about but again i feel like if i hadn't seen him play that character in other movies better yeah because in glorious bastards and he had he way just, too much eyeliner on but he was just perfect in that movie but <laughs> <laughs> What kind of bugged me about it is if even if he was he went the other way mm-hmm. with the villain, it still wouldn't have worked because what they're mean to tell me is that all right, see, well, the, yeah, no, the extremes don't work. But if they had played it a little bit more to the center, I don't know. Like I just feel like I feel like Silva in Skyfall did a better version of that. Yeah, of playing the charismatic yet completely batshit insane. Yeah. And also, I feel like the character was lazy. Like, okay, I this is the part where it really did feel to me that when they came to write this movie in the planning stages, they knew that they wanted to use Spectre, the organization, and the character of Blofeld. But... Is that they just kind of fit him in? It wasn't right. really... You can tell they had a hard time trying to make him work in a modern setting because he can't because the character is so dated now. Honestly, what I felt should have happened, because throughout this movie, there's, again, the gentleman's name escapes me. Um, The one who was... Because basically the entire plot is that the double sector is about to be shut down, and the gentleman who, I guess, is a part of, like, the... Um, who? Are you talking about C? Yes. C's kind of like the liaison to... He's from MI6. Well, no, I, I think, believe isn't he? In well, the, no, well, they're MI six. I think it was it was MI six. No, but they're the double O seven program of oh. MI six, and he's kind of like it's kind of like internal affairs, right? And then like the whole thing is they were going to connect all the intelligence communities under like that one banner, such with the whole surveillance program. Yeah, the CNS or whatever it was that company. And to me, he is the perfect villain because he to me fits kind of like what they were doing with Tomorrow Never Dies. With um, Jonathan Price's character, how the war wasn't necessarily fought with bullets and machine guns, but they were using the media 
mm-hmm. to then, you know, twist the public perception. Right. But it's relevant because, of course, everybody now is so concerned with surveillance. And, and technology does kind of rule our lives on so many levels. Right. And to me, he's he's the perfect villain. And yes, he's not necessarily the most well-rounded, but in a movie like this where it's such a personal story, it's okay to have someone like him, you know, in that part. Because right. to me, I felt he was far more sinister than Blofeld. Right. And especially because he's so much colder. Because here's a guy who clearly believes that this is the New World Order things, and he's just like, ah, fuck it. Like, this is how we're doing things now. And to me, I feel like that's far more sinister than me. Oh, I'm the author of all your pain, Bond. Oh, <laughs> I made all your women die, even though that's completely impossible. Oh, my eyes fucked up like Donald Pleasant. Oh, look at this cat that popped up out of nowhere. I'm drilling your head because you can't remember what she looked like. The fuck? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that up until that point, I was having so much fun. But there was at least a good 30 seconds where I wanted to leave. Until I realized, look, this movie's good. It's going to get good again. Yeah, it was good up until it got to that whole scene. And that's where everything kind of went past fantastical bond, you know, where it was just kind of like, okay, throw the watch. He just sits there and looks at it like, oh, what's that? Somehow still survives, even though the whole damn place blew up with one watch. And okay, one and time sh- out. And this is this is what bugs me out. Like, and okay. one shot to one tank. Now, <laughs> How did the then- whole place go down? <laughs> what the hell was that place made out of? You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I liked the idea, because again, they're playing Amish City old movies. Right. So I loved that Dr. No vibe from that. You remember how like they weren't dragged into the place, you know, they actually were brought in cordially. Right. You know, they're driven there and like, oh hey, we pulled out this nice outfit. Right. We got you know, we got your suits for you. Come meet us at this time. We're gonna have dinner, we're gonna hang out. And I'm still gonna kill you mercilessly, but you know, we're gonna chill for a bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a little <laughs> This is essentially like the Bond version of like Netflix and chill. Like <laughs> Um, you know, and it, it was cool when he's telling a story about the media, right, and such and such, you know, mm-hmm. when they're going to that because, again, it reminded me a little bit of the classic villains, how it was, they, again, they were, very, again, everybody knew what was going to go on, but they were, they were friendly about it. Yeah. But then once they started to explain the master plan, it's it was so convenient because there's no way you could have orchestrated everything. I mean, I think his point was that he orchestrated the girl's deaths or somehow orchestrated all the women he but cared no, for but that doesn't make any being... sense because no but hold on time out because in casino royale yes they kidnapped the boyfriend you know her for ransom you know she gets the money back but in a way vesper took that power back because as she's dying or whatever, she's the one that locks the cage, you know, locks the cage so Bond can't get to her. She's like, fuck this, I'm, you know. But the point but in is a way, that it he, he the lost that-, that battle. He may have lost that battle as far as the organization, but he still met the objective of hurting Bond on some level. Because it's two objectives. It's him trying to take over the world, you know, pinky right. in the brain over here. And then... <laughs> There's also this other objective of I'm going to make Bond suffer as much as possible in every opportunity that presents itself. So whenever he would see him catching feelings, he would jump in and use it against him. But again, it doesn't make any sense in the grand scheme of things. Well, I mean, considering that... This is kind of like a, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing. Yeah, okay, they thought of this after the fact, and 
it conveniently tied it all together. Considering that Mr. White was the connecting tissue for most of that series. Yeah. That had pregnancy. That had relevance. And that had punch because right. you saw him throughout this entire movie. And you saw how he was. And here he is at his last moments. This frail, fragile, dying man mm -hmm. who basically takes you know takes his own self out. Right. And everything like that. Like, that, to me, has importance. Whereas this whole thing of now we're going back into his family about, you know, the person who took him in and this and that. Like, but we've never talked about this before. Yeah, the whole Blofeld connection. We've never even was, discussed this. Was, yeah, that was, everything else made sense because from past movies, okay, I know this character's from this one and this situation happened in that movie. and But the whole Blofeld thing was like... When the hell do we ever talk about Bond's past and who raised him? I mean, we knew his parents died in the whatever, but other than that, like, how much do we really talk about his upbringing? In a way, it's, you know what it is? It's like, like that thing like they do with a lot of the comic book movies where like the villains are so closely tied into like, remember with the whole Spider-Man 3 thing where it's like, oh yeah, we this guy we thought killed his parents. Oh no, we were wrong. We this is It's this guy now. Oh, you know what? I finally get that scene from Austin Powers now where remember the characters, they were separated, they were in the car and he thought his brother died in the car. And yeah, that's... A you know, so now I kind of get it. Like, oh, okay, that's... That's what that was. <laughs> and it's it's it was bullshit then, but it was funny. But it's like in an actual setting, like okay, here's how this should have worked. This would have been cool to me. You have you keep the Oberhauser character or mm -hmm. Blofeld, and you know he goes to the facility, and you know he's telling him all this stuff. How great would it have been? Because again, it's all about misdirect. So what if they made up that story? What were they gonna check his DNA to find out? They could have told him anything at this moment. They're gonna kill the man eventually, right? So what, they wanted to make him suffer. So why not then just make up some story but about... But then he was going to wipe his memory anyway. So then what was the point? Exactly. So unless someone else knows the answer to that, so please uh, hit me up at Adrian Has Issues on Twitter or on Facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues or even email me at Adrian Has Issues at gmail.com. Let's talk about this because maybe you have some insight that I don't. But again, if they're doing all that, so how about this? You tell them this whole story, so in his last moments, he's flipping the fuck out, like, oh, my past. But then it turns out that this Blofeld guy is just a placeholder, that the head of Spectre really is C. But he, they just killed C. But again, Sorry, that's what I'm saying. Like, Well, no, I'm not worried about the spoilers, but that to me, that makes more sense that C would be a gentleman like this, as opposed like it to... Made more, yeah, because C was the one that even after then we thought Blofeld was dead, C was still there, still trying to get it going, and it's like, your boss is dead, why are you still trying to do this? And he's just that, like, committed to it. Yes, he's, he's he down for the cause. He was definitely He's ready scarier. to die for the shit. You know what I mean? He was definitely kind of where it seemed that Blofeld almost was like, yeah, he did all this, but he, he really was hung up on this stupid revenge thing. Again, that didn't even make sense. It was just so pithy and just, ugh. It was an otherwise drain on a good movie. And it wasn't even like I disliked him for... Thank you, motorcycle guy. Yeah, you tell him. Uh -huh. But I didn't like C because he's a sniveling bastard who's, you know, the cock of the walk. And you're not supposed to like that character. Whereas Blofeld, I'm just like, can we please hurry up and kill him? Because like the, the charm's wearing off. I don't think that he ever was charming. He was really just kind of creepy and he was just off. But it was muddy. How the hell do you survive an explosion like that at that facility? Yeah. With just a, a scrape or just with your eye screwed up. Yeah, he, he, didn't was, lose, he didn't lose any hair. That He should have been bald. Even though it's a bald thing, where that watch was thrown was directly at his feet. 
which is the epicenter of that explosion, which took down the whole place. Well, no, well, it was that started it, and then Bond, I think, shot a tank of something, but somehow that took out that entire facility. And then... now the tank blowing up the entire facility is one thing. I throw what's essentially a C four grenade at your feet. If you're not dead, you're at least losing your limbs. Yeah, like, you just threw him. You see you throw him, you know, and it There's, was... At least you have to worry about losing his socks. But at the end of the day, it's like, I'm sorry. You guys have... That, now this is getting a little over goddamn ridiculous. Yeah, that's when it started getting... When it got to that point where him strapped in the chair, and all, that was all very reminiscent of the past movie, except, you know, this time instead of a laser, it's, you know, drills. But... Yeah, at that point, that's when the movie started getting ridiculous. Like, at that point, the movie was so good up until that end. And then when they got to the end, it was kind of like, I feel like, okay, we got to hurry up and finish this movie. Right. You know, and we don't want it to look like we're rushing, but we definitely want to have big explosions. But the other buildings blowing up in the past, that all that stuff they used to blow them up made sense. The biggest freaking facility in the movie. The explosion does not make sense. That's like having somebody crashed a car into the wall and somehow it took out the whole damn crater. <laughs> well, I mean, you've seen Furious 7, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Don't get me started. Don't get me started because I will, I will just argue for argument's sake. But okay, I will say this, though. Uh-huh. They go to Blofeld, like, I'm the orchestrator of all European, whatever. Mm-hmm. Bond, you know, kicks the one guy, kick your leg out, leg sweep you, I'll shoot him, he's dead. Make again, sees the villain. And much like in the way of Skyfall, I like the idea that Bond's battlefields are fought on his own turf. Like, it's literally like the idea of him having the showdown and what was the old MI6 building. Yeah. That was cool. Like, right. that should have been Bond taking out C right then and there. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, it was cool that, of course, like, you know, Bill Tanner and him and everybody else was involved and taken down. Like, I love how, like, James Bond has, like, a Scooby Doo gang now. <laughs> Oh, and you know what? I don't even want to get into Dave Batista. That was still that went kind of nowhere. I kept expecting him to pop back up because you know when he went down with the tanks, and it was just kind of like, I felt like it was gonna be like Jaws, you know, when it came back up again. <laughs> right, but the only thing is though, I don't think Dave Batista has the level of charm and like ability that Jaws did. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and I know we're kind of all over the place, but. Maybe that's enough not to ruin the movie totally for them. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. The villain was probably the weakest link in this movie. And if you're not careful, and if you don't fight against it... Well, there is more than one villain that you could pick from, at least. Right. You know, And that's the thing. But I feel like... I'm going to say it again. They should have just made C like the official villain and the official head of Spectre. Mm -hmm. Throwing the Blowfield thing is a nice nod. Just, you know, obviously they, they still have to pay their homages. But then turn the tables again to being like bonds like bam done yeah because i felt like c was the actual orchestrator whereas blofeld was kind of like your figurehead right that's what it kind of felt like it was almost like you know like an iron man where you have the the the, the mandarin but he really was just a figurehead he wasn't really the one in charge right you know it kind of had more of that feeling it should have been played that, that way maybe. this is still by far my favorite movie oh my god this movie like i said the movie was almost perfect it right. really was you know, Other I, mean, than I mean we're being hypercritical but this movie was beautiful it was stunning and you know that's pretty much the best i could say about that what would you say was your favorite part of this movie favorite part of the movie it's difficult because when well, a movie like this once i get to the point where once i see it a few times that'll probably change mm-hmm. but the one thing i did enjoy 
maybe wasn't necessarily a particular moment mm-hmm. per se, but I do like the fact that no, I'm sorry, you know, I, I think I have a favorite moment. <laughs> it was pretty much any time um Ben Wishaw, the gentleman who played Q was on screen. Okay. By the fourth movie, I already know how Daniel Craig is, and everybody's pretty much established. But the one thing I did appreciate about this movie, and I know we probably covered it before, is the fact that these movies fleshed out the world around Bond. Like, whereas these movies were promising the the idea of now we're going to get deeper into who 007 is, who James Bond is. Mm -hmm. And they've been successful in some cases, they've been unsuccessful. But whereas the other characters... And other entries of the series were very much your background, your background yeah. kind of serving, you know, mean stone end, which they still did. Because at the end of the day, it's like they had their own identities. Like we were talking about with Money Penny. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, they flirt back and forth. But yet, again, more spoilers. When he calls again, she's not waiting by the phone, waiting for his call. Mm-hmm. He basically interrupts her. Same thing with M. I think that was in Quantum of Solace where she's in like the, the bathroom where she's getting cleaned up. And like, I think um, her husband's like, oh, you have a call. And she's like, you know, that's when she puts it on like speakerphone mm-hmm. where it's like not everybody's sitting around the, the phone or whatever their device is waiting for Bond to call them. Even though he does that, it's like, here, take this. And, you know, when you right. call, you answer. Because even when Q gets called out, the first thing, you know, he's like, look, you know, you bring me out here. And it's like, look. I want to help, you know, the greater good as much as anybody else. But yet I have, you know, a mortgage and, you know, pension and things like that. <laughs> cats. And Yeah, and his cats. <laughs> you know, he's a fairly young guy and he's, you know, this isn't the world that. Yeah, and that's the thing that's, you know, that's a good point compared to other movies is that, you know, M or Q or whoever, you always kind of saw them, you know, until the Daniel Craig movies, you always saw them in the context of their offices. Right. You know, whenever they were referenced, they were there for a purpose, whatever there was to get on his case, give him his orders, give him his gadgets, clean up his mess, whatever it is. They were there. You always saw them just on the job and you never kind of saw them as really human beings or something, somebody other than their position. Exactly. And this movie was really cool about kind of showing the other side. Hey, these people do kind of go home and have another life and stuff. Yeah. So it was nice to see Q be himself and it was great because in skyfall you know he plays very much that you know he and bond are sort of not rivals necessarily but it was a bit of a showdown in skyfall when they first talked yeah it's kind of like the brain versus brawn thing you know they both have a level of condescension for the other and are very confident in their particular abilities and therefore look down on the other for not having those but um at the same time they (laughs) complement each other well right it's a it's kind of this a little it's not quite the same dynamic as let's say the original q because that one was more of the like fatherly the, maybe not even fatherly but more of the the cool uncle who's still kind of aggravated by his nephew <laughs> but yeah i think q really was i think the takeaway for me and not that in daniel craig of course who is only even that much more confident in the role right. so how about you what was uh um other than the big ass explosion which the big, oh which was just <laughs> broke so records. D- yeah and, and that just showed how old because he was just kind of like what the hell? Like, and now I realize why it was such a what the hell moment because <laughs> it really was. But you know, what was your takeaway from this? I don't know. I mean, there were so many really great moments. I loved the kind of cattiness between everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there were, there were you know, a lot of it was that. a combination of I loved the cattiness, and then I just loved just the beauty of the film, the flow of the film. 
was just really it was almost like almost like a continuous take but it wasn't obviously but it had that feel to it like it just flowed right into the next right. thing and then every, and it's every- a visual movie but at the same time like where some movies that's almost to a detriment where it's more visual and nothing's really going on. But this one, no, but this that's was panoramic in a way where you're like in the movie. You know what I mean? It right. was. It wasn't just hey, this long ass view, and that's <laughs> it. Or hey, it's, it's like a big picture. No, like you were really kind of traveling and and flying through this film. And I don't know. It was just fun. I mean, basically, if I had one word to describe this movie, it was it was fun. It was fun and sexy. Okay, two words. You know, <laughs> fun and sexy. Both interchangeable. None more than the other, you know. But I love, I just love the dynamic. I love that and then finally the new M kind of stopped being the stodgy ass. He kind of pulled the stick out and he got that human element out of him. And you almost kind of finally like him a little bit. <laughs> I liked him at the end of Skyfall, but at the end of the day, you find out that this time... But he was still the boss, you know? He's still right. boss man. And he wasn't... I think that this one, he finally earned that respect that M had, the other original M had. Okay, yeah. That she had. Um, I, I feel that since they were coming down on him, because you really get the idea that he really doesn't enjoy this any more than Double Seven did. Because, but again, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, is the irony of the fact he was so willing to throw the the other M out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with this whole, well, you know, this is old, you know, we're, we're bringing in, as Will Smith describes in Men Black 2, you know, the new hotness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make this look good. <laughs> uh, yes, I didn't make a Men in Black reference. You can, <laughs> you can delete that or you can skip ahead <laughs> until you think I'm done doing them. Yeah. You know what? They don't know us by now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's pretty much it. And that's one I'm probably going to rewatch several times only because oh, it's yeah. Bond. And also just because I'm sure I missed a lot of things grinning like an idiot. Yeah. So. Looks like things. Um, yeah, it was it was just an awesome flick. And I, that's one I would definitely want to own. Like this movie really could be the ending. If, like, if they wanted to end the franchise, this movie they could do that. It was that good. It was that kind of thorough and thorough in its tribute and and the respect for the franchise. And I think that if they had a, if they had to pick a movie to end on, this would be the one. But the one thing I'll say, then we'll probably close it up, is that it's now interesting because this is the first time where the entirety of an actor's run as Bond was sequential. That mm-hmm. it almost takes place in obviously it's not exactly real time so of course don't start tweeting like it's not real time mm-hmm. but it takes place like there isn't a legit setting for this right it's going to be difficult now that whoever they cast because i do know because everybody's like is he going to do another one or is assumingly final but last time i checked he was contractor for five right and he did co-produce this one so he obviously obviously has a lot of involvement right but now, going forward, though, does that make it more difficult? Not necessarily in terms of performance, but as terms of like the movie's actual place and how they tell those stories. Because it's going to be very difficult to go back to those kind of day in the life or moment in the life of style that some of the other films had. Right, where, where they're kind of standalone in a way. Right. Well, I mean, you do have sort of a cliffhanger, you know, but they could go either way with it, you know? I just feel like the next movie after this is just... This one's a hard act to follow, I think. As long as they don't make the villains as shitty as they kind of Well, yeah, I mean, well, only the one. I mean, the other ones were were pretty fleshed out. This one was kind of pieced together, but... I mean, it was a good homage. I'll say that. 
All right. You know, I'll give it that much. (laughs) But if anything, I will say, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but thanks for, you know, hanging out with me. It's so much more fun watching that with someone who's a legitimate fan. And maybe it's kind of difficult because I guess being fans, we're not as critical as some others maybe, or maybe more so than others wouldn't be. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, when it when it comes to anything iconic, I always say just have respect for the icon. You know, give it respect. And and that's the thing. Like, if you want to put variations on it, do it with kind of respect for what's what's the main bullet points of this character. Right. So, before we close out, honestly, tell the good people where they can maybe chat with you online if they so choose. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Verse in the Heart. You could also find me on Tumblr under the same name and also on blogger.com. And, well, I threw it out before, but you can always check out the show at the main website at Adrian Has Issues, where you can download and stream all of our episodes, including two other ones that I mentioned at the beginning that my uh, lovely girlfriend was on. Aww. And I was on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues and Facebook.com slash adrian has issues and honestly hit us up tell us what you think of the series um did it uh leave you shaking and stirred or did you did it bore the living daylights i don't know i was trying to find (laughs) i was trying to find you almost had it and you lost it in the end (laughs) 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 how they just live and let it die (laughs) it's like um did it honor majesty's secret service oh lord I'm gonna, uh, yes. And with that note from Russia with love, please say <laughs> goodbye from yeah. Asian Has Issues Podcast. Get this party started up in here! Whoop Hey, this is Mark. You're listening to this show, probably on your mobile device, whether it's iOS or Android or even Windows Mobile. <laughs> Who has one of those? Uh, but anyway, you're probably listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or some other wonderful mobile app that brings this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. But did you also know that you can find this show, among several others in this category, at the Tangent Bound Network? That's right. Go visit TangentBoundNetwork.com. Check it out where you can always get the latest episode of this and other shows quite like it. Although, admittedly, there is no show quite like this one. 